Welcome to the podcast of ideas. I'm Rob Lyons. The development of China's infrastructure constantly amazes those of us in the West more accustomed to the slow, incremental drip of new housing, railways and airports. One of the most remarkable aspects is China's urbanisation. Whereas almost everywhere else in the world, from Mexico City to Mumbai, cities tend to grow organically and, frankly, chaotically, in China, huge new cities are planned and built from scratch. And such cities have their critics. Will people move to them? What quality of life will they have there? And so on. To discuss this, I'm joined by Austin Williams. Austin is an architect and writer who's been working for the past few years at XJTLU University in Suzhou in China. He's the author of The Enemies of Progress, is now working on a new book about China's urbanisation. Hello, Austin. Hello, Rob. Um, so I think it's traditional to start by quoting some big numbers about China. So far away, you know, how many cities have, has China built? How many are planned? How many people are going to be living in them? The figure that's bandied around quite a lot is 20 cities a year for the next 20 years. That figure was announced in 2010, so we're kind of halfway there. And even though it's a made-up number, they aren't really doing it, the figures are kind of quite staggering. So they are uh, making new cities, and they are upgrading existing large cities into megacities. So the process that China's adopting now is to try to work out what the quality of those cities can be. If you can imagine from the 1970s, from Mao period, when the environment was uh, of no consideration and it was just a rapid build, rapid growth when Deng Xiaoping took over, now they're beginning to kind of say, what can we learn from the West in terms of quality of those urban environments? So those are not necessarily big figures. Big figures would be, maybe you like this one, China has used more concrete in the last three years than America did in the entire 20th century. How about that? Uh, you know, so you, you can go on. The superlatives are, are, are obvious because this is a country which has urbanized more people in the 21st century than in all of America put together. So, you know, these are kind of rapid growths, rapid developments, which I think, you know, we haven't seen our like before in human history. And there's something to learn, but also something to complain about in the process. Yeah, because uh, you know, when we think about new towns in Britain, for example, in the past, you know, the, the Telfords and the Milton Keynes and places like that, they were widely regarded as quite soulless and have taken a long time to sort of develop character or whatever, and suddenly you're throwing up a, a mega city in very short order. Presumably these are not necessarily the most characterful and interesting uh, places. They're just kind of like uniform Maoist you know, apartment blocks, or, or, or have they gone beyond that a bit? Uh, well, they're going beyond it. I mean, Mao is dead, so they are trying to introduce architecture, design. You know, there's an emerging middle class now who want a little bit more than a, than a Soviet-style block, so interior designers, landscape architects. These are new professions which are coming up in, in China um, and, and adding that extra bit of quality. But in terms of the way that, uh, you know, cities have developed... The generally accepted view, although there are variations to this, is that you know in in the Western world or historically, 
uh, cities have grown organically. There have been settlements, they've settled, they've become towns, they've become larger towns, they turn into metropolis. In China, that's also happened. But what they've tried to do now, because urbanizing, being seen to be part of the civilized uh, series of nations, means that you have to have around about 70% urban population, which is what we have in the West, uh, that they are pushing for new cities to be constructed before anybody has settled there or before anybody has demanded an urban uh, settlement. So they are building cities from scratch. Cities in the order of half a million people are being constructed. And these are the ones that we see on the you know, TV, on YouTube. Lots of people going over there five years after they've started to plan the city and to break ground. People go there and complain that there's nobody living there. Well, please, you know, do me and do them a favor that you can't actually just click your finger and have this happen overnight. So they are constructing the infrastructure, they're constructing the houses, the the universities, uh, the industry, and then they are peopling them. Now, in some ways, they are populating these cities with a cattle prod, and they're kind of forcing people to move there. Uh, in other ways, they are investing in state-owned enterprises, so they're instructing people that they have to move there for the businesses. And then it takes on a new dynamic where people will grow. So even in Suzhou, where I'm living and working, that, when I moved there five years ago, was reasonably quiet. Uh, whereas now, it's uh, you know you can't cross the road for cars. It's become a thriving metropolis. Allegedly, there are three million people living there now, whereas there was half a million when I moved there. So, you know, these things are going at a pace that we don't recognize in the West. And so I think we have to be a little bit more attuned to the fact that there will be problems and there will be differences and not be so quick to condemn. You mentioned earlier about 70% urbanization. I mean, what sort of figures is China at the moment and, you know, in the recent past? I mean, what sort of, what sort of scale of movement of people are we talking about here? Uh, Well, we're talking about 350 million people urbanized in the last 10 years, uh, 15 years. But obviously, maybe I should have prefaced all of this by saying that a lot of this is Chinese statistics. So you have to be a little bit cautious that they they do make stuff up. But, you know, you can generally see the, the, the trajectory of the way that these things are moving. In terms of the amount of Cities being constructed, we've talked about that. We've talked about the fact that uh, they are now trying to build not just new cities, but take, for example, Shanghai. Shanghai has got a 20-year master plan started in 2000, 2002. And that is to recognize that it's the biggest city in China. It's got between, official statistics, between 16 and 23 million people. Nobody really knows because you have this kind of floating migrant population. But it's, it's big. Uh, and you, but you're still having an in, influx of people because it's a popular place to be. It's the most western city in China. So the master plan is to say we're going to build, it's called the 1966, 1966, the World Cup moment. It's yeah. basically one center, nine surrounding cities, 60 towns and 600 villages. This is the master plan. So people who are now moving to Shanghai, even if you went there 20 years ago, you won't necessarily see it more crowded than you would have done previously, before the millennium, because they're now moving people out there, diffusing that kind of population crush. Now, whether that's an authoritarian kind of gesture and uh, to be uh, to be condemned, or whether it's a sensible planning procedure to be applauded, uh, I leave that to the listeners to decide. Oh, so are you, are you now ducking it? Because I was going to say, you know, where does, where's democracy fit into all of this? Because I, I remember around the, the Brexit discussion, Somebody saying, you know, I, I'm not that interested in democracy, I'm interested in 
liberty or something mm-hmm. and you know that well, all the fast growing economies in the world you know the fastest ones you know they're actually pretty authoritarian so is there a trade-off here between democracy and say civil rights as it were in terms of where you, you live and getting stuff done yes I mean, there is a trade-off in China. I'm not suggesting that this is the moral norm that we should aspire to. I don't like the idea that Mussolini got the trains to run on time, therefore fascism has its good points. I mean, I'm not of that school of thought. I'm not of the idea that in Britain you can't get anything done uh, because of planning processes and, you know, interminable consultation processes, which is not a real reflection of democracy. It's just bureaucracy and jobs worths. But, you know, the fact that British transport... Uh, let's take a look at London. There's the uh, underground network has been around for 130 years, and the last new line really was the Jubilee Line, and now we're building a couple more now. But, you know, that took maybe 10, 15 years of consultation. China, in the last 25 years, has built a subway system in Shanghai alone, which is almost uh, 50% bigger than London's network. Uh, and they've done that, you know, very easily. Now, The reason they've done it easily is because they can move people out of the way. There is no democratic right to reply, uh, and they can just do these things. Now, I'm saying that that, this is something which is a discussion rather than me adopting a Maoist position telling you which is the right one. I have real problems with the fact that it's an authoritarian, unelected state where you have no right to reply. But at the same time, the onward march of progress does have casualties, even in Victorian period or even in the West. We've recognised that these are certain things that have to happen. So it's weighing these things up in the balance. So in terms of the casualties of progress, I suppose going back to your your concrete figure, a lot of people would say, well, the environment is clearly a casualty of this process. We see the pictures from Beijing all the time of the, of the, the terrible smog there. Uh, is that just being replicated across China now with these new cities, or what are they doing to change that? Well, first of all, it has to be said that uh, the smogs in Beijing, Shanghai, Daqing, Dalian, you know, everywhere, they these are not nice. Partly, it's because the Western commentators who are speaking about it uh, have had their sensitivities kind of weakened by living in such a uh, pollution-free, cigarette-free environment in the West. So they're a little bit hypersensitive to these things. I'm old enough to remember pollution in the West. I'm not old enough to remember the London smogs of 1952, but 12,000 people died in two weeks in London. Two weeks in 1952. Uh, that hasn't happened in China. right? So the levels of smog uh, are of an unpleasant, unhealthy nature. Pollution is not good. That I will grant you. But I don't think we should over-egg this, over-exaggerate it. In the same way I was talking about ghost cities, that you know you build something and then you, you make it work. Uh, in some ways, the same thing with pollution. China has had a phenomenal rapid uh, industrialization. It's had an incredible urbanization process. And now it's reaping the rewards as well as reaping some of the hazards. And pollution is eminently clean as we see in London from 1952. Uh, 1958 was the Clean Air Act. So there's, a, there's a, one example is a city I went to just three years ago called Lanzhou, uh, which is in Gansu province, right in the center of China. And I went there because it was the most polluted city in China, and I wanted to see what it was like. So that, was, that was 2013. 2015, China's just released the Green Book of Eco-Cities, and Lanzhou is within the top 100 within China. Uh, not even the, the most polluted in the world. It's it's not even the most polluted in China. And it's done that 
by you know banning you know clean air uh, acts by banning heavily polluting industries by having filters on industry and all that and by getting rid of heavy diesel inefficient vehicles but so that's kind of nice because that's an authoritarian kind of rule they've managed to do that one way they've done it which environmentalists uh, are in turmoil over is the fact that they've knocked the top off 700 mountains in order to increase the ventilation flow of, of the air to blow the pollution away which you know you can say what a ridiculous or what a brilliant solution yeah so you know the the you weigh these things up in the balance that's what i'm saying i mean i think that's uh, plenty for our dear listeners to uh, to be chewing on your book is coming out when, or are you still writing it? Uh, still writing it, uh, still working through it. 2017, I have to finish it by November uh, 2016, so it'll be out in the shops soon. Okay, before Brexit then. Before Brexit, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, thank you, Austin Williams. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, and if you'd like to listen to more of our podcasts, go to instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast to listen or subscribe. Mm-hmm.